Once again, good morning, Zoe. So glad you are with us. I want to welcome those that are with us for the very first time. Uh, we are love that you are here as we continue in the series in the book of Philippians. Uh, we gather every week, and my, my guess is you want to come because you want to grow in your faith in Jesus. And I hope this has been one of those series for you as we, we really press into what does it look like to follow after Jesus. Now, have you ever bought a piece of fitness equipment? You know what I'm talking about, uh, those infomercials for the ridiculous things that are going to make your life better. You know, I remember in the 90s, it was the thigh master, you know, and then there was these things where you would uh, connect electrodes to your stomach, you know, and give you better abs. When I was a kid, my dad bought the ab roller, right? It was this thing that was supposed to help you with your sit-ups, you know, and I saw the infomercial and these people had amazing abs, but it was shocking, but my abs never looked like theirs did, you know. Well, why do we buy these kind of things? I, th I think it's the same reason why we buy those kitchen appliances that are ridiculous, or the same reason why we try these you know, different health things or these different diets in our lives. It's the dream of the silver bullet, that one thing that's gonna solve our problem, that one thing that's gonna fix what we have. You know, We all wish we could just snap our fingers and, and deal with the problems in our life. But how many of you know that the problems that we deal with in life a lot of times are much deeper than a fitness equipment issue. I don't think anything grips our heart more than relationship problems. Like in my life, everything in my life could be going poorly, but if my relationship with my wife is strong, I'm fine. But the opposite's also true. Everything in my life could be perfect, but if my relationship with my wife is struggling, it doesn't really matter to me, I'm struggling. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because right now in this season, you're struggling. Maybe there's a relationship in your family. There's a relationship with a friend that you're struggling, a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor or maybe it's your marriage. This whole season of quarantine, you're just struggling in your marriage somehow, right? Is there a silver bullet to fix these problems? We can even think about this past week and the events that took place in our city and we see all the problems and we ask, like, how do we fix this? What's the solution to this? Now, one of the major themes in Philippians is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. But hear this, the gospel isn't just something we know. The gospel is intended to transform us, to transform our hearts and our lives, to change us from the inside out. And ultimately, the gospel is something we do. It's something we live out. Today, we're going to look at something that I consider to be kind of a silver bullet principle when it comes to relationships. It's an element of the gospel that we have to live out if we're going to say we're followers of Christ. And I believe this, if we get a hold of this, this can transform our lives. But I also believe it has the potential to transform your relationships. If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse number one. Uh, just as you're turning there, just a reminder that we are in our Bible reading plan and encourage you to jump in and follow along with us. We're in the book of Acts right now. We'd love to have you join us in this plan. Would you read with me? Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse number one says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you do want to speak to our hearts. And God, I ask in these few moments we have together that you would take this truth, dig it deep into our hearts and help us to live out your gospel in a deeper way. Pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul is writing, as we've talked about this last several weeks, he's writing this letter to a group of believers that he's really close with. He planted this church. He loves these people. But he's writing this letter while in chains. He's awaiting trial before the emperor in Rome. And he's writing this letter to this group of believers that he loves to encourage them, to challenge their commitment to the gospel, to encourage them in their faith. Now, sometimes when you read different letters that Paul writes, it can be a little hard to understand. They can be a little flowery at times. You're like, I'm not sure what it is I'm supposed to do with this. But when you get to this passage, it is extremely practical. It is very concrete. There's no question what he's asking you to do. And it begins with the word therefore. And I say this all the time. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, you got to look at the passage right before that. And so I want to jump back uh, to a little bit of what we looked at last week in Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse 27. It read like this. It says, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, right? Worthy of the gospel, that we are called to live lives different than everybody else, to live lives that look like Christ, to live in a way that comes in alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. And then he goes on, he says, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul's writing these people. What is he praying? What is his desire? Desire is unity. That this group would be one, right? That there would be unity in their pursuit of the gospel's advancement. That's what he's calling this group of people to be. But the question is, how? How is it that we're supposed to live this way? What is he expecting of them? Now, there's a little pause in the text here because this is what ties to the next section, but there's a little pause, and I, I just want to bring it up uh, because this is a topic that is critical. Look what it says in verse 29. It says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's like this little side comment that he's making here. And I, anytime we talk about suffering in Scripture, I think it's important for us to mention it because as, as believers, very often we can get this mindset that if you do good, you get good. If you do the right thing, then God has to bless you. That's like, you don't get a choice. He has to bless you if you do the right things, you know? And some people, people will teach Christianity that that's what it is. It's all about just do the right things and you get the good stuff, you know? But see, the problem is that's not what scripture teaches. And, and if you believe that's what scripture teaches, then if you do the right thing and, and the good things don't happen, you just want to toss the Bible out altogether and say, well, that's not true at all. But see, scripture doesn't say that. He says right here, listen, You've been called to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Sometimes doing good results in suffering. I said this a couple of months ago that Jesus was in the center of God's will when he was hanging lifeless on a cross, right? And there are times in life where following after Jesus means we're going to suffer. We're going to have to lay ourselves down just like Jesus. If we're going to look like him, we may suffer like him. This is why Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to count the costs because it may mean some challenges in our life. See, that's what it looks. Are there blessings? Absolutely. But in this life, we may experience suffering. 
But then we get to the next passage that we, that we just read, and it begins with the word, therefore. And, and it says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, He's saying, listen, if you have any encouragement from being united, you're in relationship with Christ. You've experienced the love of God, right? You've experienced this relationship, this blessing of the gospel, right? If any comfort from his love, you've experienced his love. This love is agape love, this self-giving love. He loves you unconditionally, right? If any common sharing in the spirit, you've experienced the spirit of God coming into your life. If any tenderness and compassion, if it's transformed you at all, right? If you've experienced a newness because of the gospel, verse two, then make my joy complete. Paul's saying, listen, remember, we got this close relationship. If you've experienced the love of God, would you do this for me? Would you, would you make my joy complete by doing these things? And he goes on and says this, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. See, again, what is Paul's desire? It's Unity that they would be one. Paul's prayer for this group of believers is the exact same prayer that Jesus had for you and for me. Do you realize that Jesus prayed for us specifically? See, in John 17, Jesus said, I pray for those who will believe, that's us, that those who will believe, I pray that they would be one, that there would be unity. Father, as you and I are one, may they See, that's what Jesus' desire for the church is. That's what Paul's desire for the church in Philippi is. That's my desire for the church at large. That's Amber and I's desire for Zoe Church, that we would be one in unity. But more than that, that's my desire for your friendships. That's my desire for your families. That's my desire for your marriages in this church. Why do I say that? You need to listen to me right here. Because if the gospel doesn't work in our homes, then how can we expect it to work in our world? Like we say, we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Listen, if it doesn't even work in our homes, if it doesn't work in our relationships, if it doesn't actually transform us, if it doesn't result in produce something different, good fruit, then what good is the gospel? Why is this something we should go tell other people about? But I believe it absolutely is good news. And it means that we have to listen and live differently. The question is how? How do we live in this kind of unity? Paul gives us two very clear clear things. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. The first one is this. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on yourself. If you want unity, if you want oneness in any relationship, in any circumstance in your life, if you really want to live out the gospel, don't focus on yourself. Like this seems obvious, right? But we still have to remind ourselves of this, right? Because every morning I wake up, every morning you wake up and what do we do? We say, It's all about what do I want? What do I feel? What am I interested in, right? What do I desire? What do I think about things? That's the focus of our life. I've said this before, but Amber and I, there's sometimes where we we get into arguments and we might fight a little bit. Sorry, we don't fight. We have, uh, you know, what I like to call 
aggressive fellowship, you know, also known as fighting. And when we fight, there's times where Amber will say things like, the problem is you can't ever be wrong, Greg. And I say, no, that's not the problem. The problem is you can't be wrong either. Because if you could just say that I was right, we wouldn't have a problem. And it's usually at that point that the fight doesn't end, in case you're wondering, right? But we all want to fight for our rights. We all think we know what's best. But listen, if we're going to be the people Jesus has called us to be, if we're going to be kingdom-minded gospel people, then we can't focus on ourselves. Look what it says in verse number three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, Paul's saying this. The opposite of oneness, the opposite of unity is selfish ambition and vain conceit. What is that? Selfish ambition just means this. It's caring only about yourself. You care about you, right? What's vain conceit? It's thinking too highly of yourself. It's where we get the word conceited. So the question is, do you want unity in your relationships? Those relationships that maybe are struggling around, do you actually want oneness? Do you actually want things to be better than they are? Instead of that frustrating fighting and and infighting and whatever's going on in your, do you want unity? Okay. You got to ask yourself, do you want it? If you do, okay, don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on you, right? Because as long as you're focusing on yourself, you're complicit in the disunity that you are experiencing. You are part of the problem, right? And see, I think about this as your pastors. Amber and I, we desperately, we desperately want unity at Zoe Church. We want our our place to be a a place of oneness where people experience just people loving and caring one another. Well, if we're going to experience that, you can't focus on yourself. I can't focus on myself. That can't be a part of the equation because the moment we begin to do that, we are part of the problem of producing disunity within our body. And Jesus' desire, Paul's desire, my desire, And I know your desire is unity, that we would be one. He goes on, he says, first one is don't focus on yourself. But the second one is this, focus on the other. Focus on the other. One of my many weaknesses, and I got lots of them, is that I struggle to do more than one thing at a time. Like I can't do two things at one time. Ask my wife, it can drive her crazy at times. I just can't, you know? But the truth is none of us can do two things at the same time well. Think about a camera. A camera can only focus on one thing. You got to pick what you, you can't focus on that and this at the same time. You got to pick one thing and focus on that. And Paul's saying this, if you want unity, whatever circumstance you want unity in, you have to take the focus off yourself and you have to put the focus on the other. Look what it says as we continue to read in verse three. It says, don't do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. I think this is, this is pretty clear. When you read that, it's like, okay, I got to think about them, not about me. Right, that makes sense, you know? Even the word humility, I think that's a word a lot of us kind of somewhat understand. You maybe heard the phrase before, humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less, right? And I think the rest we understand, but there's a word in here that I want to bring out because it brings a clarity about this phrase. It says, rather in humility, value others above yourself. You see, this word above is actually a military word. It it references someone that is superior in rank to yourself. 
And so when you are loving someone this, one, this way, when you are caring about someone this way and caring about their needs, it's the equivalent of saying, listen, your needs rank higher than mine. And I know we got a lot of people in our church who are either in the military or who have served in the military at some point. And here's what I guess. I didn't serve in the military, but here's what I'm going to guess. If somebody came up to you of a higher rank and they told you to do something or they expressed one of their concerns or their needs, my guess is your response wouldn't be, yeah, I don't feel like it. That's not that important to me. No, no. If they rank above you, you do what they tell you to do, right? And see, this is what it means. If we're going to love this way, if we're going to express unity this way, then we have to choose, make the choice that the other person's concerns outrank my concerns, right? Like you want unity in those relationships, in that marriage, in that family, on that job, whatever. You have to make the choice. Not that you think their concerns are more important than yours. You are going to behave as if their concerns are more important than yours. Do we want unity in the church? Here's what it means. Every one of us have to stop demanding what we want, what are our rights. And instead we say, God, we submit that and we're going to choose to love and choose the concerns of others above our own. Listen, I've been in church my whole life. I'm 38 years old, right? And I've been in this church for a year. I've been in other communities throughout my life. And there's a phrase that I've heard a lot is this like, like I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting filled. I don't like this. This isn't meeting my needs, whatever. And, and I get it. There's times where that's, that's a reality. But, but the good news is even in those moments, even in those moments, it's actually an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. To say, listen, Instead of me being concerned about me right now, I'm going to choose to be concerned with someone else's need. It's an opportunity for you to grow and to live more as a gospel person. Listen, some of you don't love my preaching. That's fine. That's okay. I'm doing the best that I can. But guess what? Even my bad preaching sometimes can result in you growing in your faith. As you say, listen, I'm not going to choose to be concerned about my feelings about Greg's preaching. Instead, I'm going to choose to be concerned about someone else. See, that's the beautiful part of this. This leads to your development. You look more and more like Jesus. See, that's what agape love does. Remember, we prayed about this in, in the passage several weeks ago that we would grow in our agape, which is a love that looks like God. Remember, God is love. God is agape. This love that looks like him that we see in the gospel, a God in heaven who looks at a broken world and says, I got to do something. I'm not going to be concerned with my needs right now. I'm concerned with the need here. And I'm going to redeem mankind and all of creation back to myself. The gospel that says that, that he sent his one and only son. Who, who went to a cross, and while on a cross, nailed to a cross between two thieves, the people who crucified him, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm not concerned with myself. Listen, I'm being crucified, but I'm not concerned with me. I choose to be concerned with their need, and they need me to be crucified because they are that broken. That's the kind of love that comes from our God. Paul is just saying this to a group of believers, and I believe he'd be saying it to us today, that if you've experienced God's love like that, then just give it away. Just give it away. Give that same kind of love to others. That's what produces unity. So I want to close with our big so what, and it's pretty clear. It's based on what we talked about, but this is the big so what today. Unifying love is an 
others-focused love. Unifying love is an others-focused love. When you're sensing disunity in any relationship, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your family, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a coworker, whatever, you got to ask yourself this question. What am I focusing on? And we might not use the word unity. Like that's not a normal word that we use. It might just be, man, I wish things were going along better. I wish we'd just get along. I wish there would be peace in our home. Whatever it is, whatever the circumstance, doesn't matter. You need to understand this, that unifying love is an others-focused love. If you want to experience unity, then it requires you to take your eyes off yourself and place it on the other. So what does that look like? It means in your marriage tomorrow morning when you wake up, when you want to think about you and your spouse that's probably frustrated you and done something you didn't like, instead of focusing on those things and your needs, what are you going to do? You're going to choose to focus on their needs. What are their concerns? And you're going to allow their concerns to outrank your concerns. It means when you've got a coworker and they're frustrating you or you've got a boss that's frustrated, you don't walk into the office trying to fight for your rights. You say, how can I be concerned with what they're concerned about. How can I prefer them over myself, right? It means when you meet somebody who's different than you, somebody that you don't understand, maybe they look different to you, they're a different color, they're a different background, different experiences, different life history, whatever it is, rather than, than worrying about yourself, you say, how can I be concerned with what they're concerned about? How can I love them that way, right? For us as a church, it means this. It means that, that we would try to look like Jesus said. Remember when Jesus talked about the church, what did he say? They'll be known for their love for one another. That's what's gonna be enticing about the church. And the good news is that to be what Jesus asked us to be, we don't have to go to seminary. We don't need to know all the theology. You don't have to read all the books and all the magazines and all the articles and whatever. You don't have to do all that stuff. All we have to do is to focus on loving others with a focus on the other. Loving others with a focus on the other. And sometimes that's hard. I get it. But that's the call. That's what gospel people do. We don't look at ourselves. We say, no, God, I lay myself down. That's part of crucifying ourselves and saying, God, I lay myself down and I care about the other. And when we find ourselves struggling to do that, because it's not always easy, we have to come back to the love of God because God didn't love us because we deserved it. God didn't love us because we were worthy in some way, right? No, he loved us in spite of ourselves. He cared for us right where we were. And when he comes to us, he says, listen, I'm not asking you to love your spouse or to love that person, to love the people in your church. I'm not asking you to love them because they deserve it. I'm asking you to love them the same way I have loved you. Could you imagine what would happen? What would happen in your home if you would begin to love one another that way? Two people laying themselves down, being concerned with the other person's need, choosing to let their needs outrank their own. Could you imagine what it would look like in your family if you would begin to operate that way? Could you imagine what Zoe Church would look like as every single one of us, instead of saying, I'm worried about my needs, would lay that down and say, no, I choose to be concerned with the needs of others. Could you imagine how beautiful that is? It's no wonder Jesus said that is going to be the greatest marker of my church. I pray that we would be those kind of people. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you loved us when we didn't deserve it. 
We thank you that you cared for us when we didn't deserve it, Lord. God, you extend grace to us when we don't deserve it. God, we are so, so grateful for that, God. But I pray that the response of our hearts would be one of doing the same thing. Father, that we would prefer the other. God, that we would not focus on our own interests, but we would focus on others and their concerns. God, I pray that you would help us to live out the gospel and that that type of love would result in unity, deep unity, deep unity in our church, deep unity in our homes, Father, deep unity in our marriages. Father, help us to live as you have called us to. Father, that we would represent Christ well, that we would live as you've called us to, Lord. And then, God, that this gospel would truly work in our homes so that it could be expressed in our world. God, work in our hearts, we pray. Pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's some of you that maybe you would say, I don't really even have a relationship with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to, to connect with you this week. And so if you would do me a favor and just, just reach out to me, email at faith at zchurch.org, faith at zchurch.org. And I'm going to answer that. And I would love to be able to help you in the process of what does it mean to follow after Jesus? But for everyone else, I've got a challenge I want to leave with you today. And it's this, would you pick one relationship to pursue unity by focusing on the other? One, I, I, we can't focus on a lot of things. We already said that. I can't focus on lots of relationships. Pick one relationship, one circumstance, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a, whatever the circumstance, I don't really care. You pick one. Maybe it's right here at Zoe. You're gonna pick that one thing and you're gonna pursue unity by choosing to focus on the other. And let's watch and see how the gospel begins to transform the relationships of our lives and ultimately transform our world.